postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth stories are with Molly Chesterson. Both of Molly's labors have started with inductions, but under different circumstances. After having an epidural for her first birth, Molly was hoping for an epidural-free experience the second time around. It was an intense close call at the end when she went from four centimeters to baby in about half an hour while her husband was getting food. Stay tuned for this roller coaster ride. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, hello, Mighty Parents-to-be. Thank you for listening and all the love you give the show. If what you hear is helpful, do make sure you subscribe. It's free. That way you won't miss a thing. All right. So my guest today is Molly Chesterson, and Molly's first birth started with an induction after her water broke pre-labor. Now, for her second birth, she chose to schedule an induction, and I'd really appreciate how this story underlines the fact that only you can make the choices that are right for you and your family, even if the super fast ramp up at the end caught everyone by surprise. So let's get to it. Hello, Molly. It is so, so good to have you here on the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited to hear your stories. Um, and before we get into that, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So um, my name is Molly. I'm originally from um, upstate New York, and I now live in Illinois with my two daughters and my husband. Um, and we've been out here for, for four years now. But um, yeah, that's basically it. Mm-hmm. So you were in my neck of the woods, which wasn't always my neck of the woods. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. I I heard I was born at Strong Hospital, so I hear in some of the podcasts when you talk about where you were. Um, so I'm familiar with the area. Excellent. Yeah, and I'm familiar with Strong Hospital for sure. Um, <laughs> and you have so you have two kids. One's two, and then you have a two-week-old little girl, yeah. freshly squeezed. Yes, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to hear, you know, a bit about both stories. Why don't you tell us where you were at, say, three years ago when you were pregnant and thinking, oh, I'm going to give birth for the first time. What were your thoughts and wishes and approach to birth? Yeah, so actually, when we were trying to get pregnant, um, and it was, what, like three years ago, um, on February 24th, we actually um, had an ectopic pregnancy that I didn't know about and had an emergency surgery to remove a tube and then had to do some fertility treatment to get pregnant with my daughter. And um, so getting pregnant um, was kind of difficult and I have PCOS. So when I got pregnant, I had to have some injections and it was a very I was just very scared the entire pregnancy and then um, wanting to go into the birth. I wanted to have as much information as possible um, and I didn't want to have any medications during birth. Um, So I would say during the entire pregnancy, I would listen to a lot of podcasts and books to try and just get as much information as possible to set me up for the best possible birth experience that I could have. Mm -hmm. What were some of your favorite books? Um, so I liked the book Expecting Better. I read that with uh, my first pregnancy. I read What to Expect When You're Expecting. I didn't it feel like it was a book that I personally loved. Um, and then I, 
I read a couple others. I don't remember because this time around, I didn't really read any books. It was more podcasts, but I definitely listened to your podcast with my daughter. And I was also listening to, I think it's called the Pregnancy Podcast, um, which had like weekly episodes that my husband and I would listen to to talk about. And it talked about what your body was going through each week, which I thought was helpful for him to kind of have him understand, especially in those early weeks when you're not showing, but you just really don't feel well. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that. Yeah. The week by week. That's a good one. Yeah. I think that was that she has two series, uh, Vanessa yeah. Mortensen. Yeah. I think, um, it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I will put it on the show notes for sure. So then were you doing anything to lessen your fear? No, not really. And we didn't take any, we, we took a couple classes at the hospital, but we didn't take any birth classes, but I took a breastfeeding class, which was phenomenal. And we took a CPR class. And then other than that, with pregnancy, I would say to lessen the fear of that, not really. I mean, once I could feel movement and stuff, it, it was a little bit more comfortable, but those early weeks, and I'm sure for a lot of people are just scary um, because you can't feel the baby. And, uh, you know, obviously that's when a lot of um, early miscarriages and things like that happen. So you just kind of have to deal with the fear, I guess, in whatever way works. But I wasn't doing much else than just listening to things and reading. Yeah. And I always like to suggest um, as a resource, Parajat Deshpande and her book, Pregnancy Brain, but also just following her Instagram. She has some, she background is a mental health. And oh, okay. Um, I've had her on the podcast several times. She's I truly resonate with her work. And she talks about how all that fear and the anxiety that you're having is a little bit of, of your nervous system not being being still in a fight or flight mode from the previous trauma. And so until you get your nervous system into calmness back again, that that's going to help lessen the anxiety and the fear. Um because it's not irrational. It's just your body's still stuck in that process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'll definitely check that out, even though I'm not pregnant right now. But uh, I think that would be good to, to listen to and check out her book. Absolutely. I'll link it on the show notes. Um, and so, okay, you did the classes, the breastfeeding class this year, the, the baby class. And then how did it start? So with my first daughter, we, um, I was 40 weeks and one day and we went to the gym and, um, that night my water broke, um, at like three in the morning. So we had had a scheduled induction at 41 weeks cause at my practice, they don't want you going past that. So we had just had our appointment and had that scheduled and then um, a couple nights later, my water broke. So we went into the hospital, but I wasn't actually in labor. Um, just my water had broken. So that's kind of how it started. Um, and like I said, that was at like three in the morning. So it was kind of how I feel like you hear about water breaking, but then people say that's not really how it happens. But for me, it was a big pop and a big gush and it just never stopped. Right. And it was while the water keeps keeps coming, your body keeps making it. So it never stops. But big pop. I love that big pop. It's so weird, right? Yes, that's exactly what it was. It it felt like a water balloon popped. And um, 
yeah, just woke me right up out of my sleep. When did labor actually start? Because it's it, it doesn't happen so, so often, but I think about 10%, 8% of pregnancies have what it's called the preterm or premature rupture of membranes, which is mm-hmm. breaking before labor, pre-labor rupture of membranes. So when we got to the hospital around 4 a.m. Um, after just kind of getting everything ready and going, um, and they checked me and I still wasn't even quite one centimeter. And I think I was like 30% of face. And so they just got me ready to start Pitocin. And I think they started it at like 6 a.m. Um, and so I don't know if it would have kind of kickstarted on its own sometime after that. They just kind of put me on Pitocin right away. Um, and then you, I got checked at like 11 a.m. and was still only one centimeter dilated. So I'm not sure when it actually would have started or did start, but I got Pitocin pretty early into it. Mm-hmm. And so that's a tricky situation. Um, and a link to a uh, show notes about uh, I'll sh- a web post, I will link in the show notes, from Evidence-Based Birth about the inductions for uh, pre-labor rupture membranes. And really, the statistics shows that about 80 to 90 percent of people will go into labor on their own within 24 hours of water breaking. So waiting is an option. Of- yeah, I, I think I was really scared to wait for two reasons. One, I was GBS positive, which I know you can, you know, there's all both sides, but I really wanted to get the antibiotics with enough time. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is my mom, actually, when she had given birth to her four kids, And me specifically, she had labors where she would go from water breaking to having the baby within just a matter of hours and go from a couple centimeters to delivery within 20 minutes, 30 minutes for all of her births. So I was in this mindset that that was going to be me and I wasn't going to be in the hospital. So I was like, I need to be in this setting where, you know, if that's the case, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm. I have the doctors around, which is where I felt the most comfortable. So I was just like, yep, start Pitocin. Let's just, yeah. let's just do it. But I do, I have listened to a lot of podcasts and things where people um, wait and they labor starts on their own. Mm-hmm. Well, and that makes a lot of sense with that history and having the GBS positive. Yeah, that with that combination of water breaking kind of puts you moving towards the hospital sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then... When did it get going? So, um, like I said, they started Pitocin around 6 a.m. But actually, when I got to the hospital and I was still in triage, they gave me my IV and um, my heart rate dropped really, really low. And so did the babies. And they didn't tell us what was happening. They just all kind of rushed in. And my husband was just looking at the monitors and was like, what is going on? Um, and so they kind of flipped and did a bunch of turns and I don't know if it was the IV, but it, through that happening, we kind of, they said they thought the cord was around the baby's neck. And so that also kind of just scared me with timing and things like that. Um, but so they started Pitocin around 6am and then around, I don't know, 11 is when I started really feeling contractions and I thought I was going to be 
much further along, but I was only one centimeter dilated. And at that point at 11, I think I was a hundred percent of face. Um, but I actually got the epidural at that time at one centimeters and going into the birth, I really did not want to get an epidural. I knew I just wanted to have no pain medication, but it was so intense and I was not prepared for it. Even though I read and I listened to things, I didn't have any coping techniques and neither did my husband. Um, so we didn't really know how to deal with the pain or breathe through the pain. And I thought to myself, I'm only one centimeter. There's no way I'm going to be able to go all day um, like this I, in so much pain. So I got the epidural, which I was really disappointed in myself. Um, but after getting it, I slept and I actually was doing some work on my computer and my husband slept. And so it was a really relaxing birth experience, I would say. But I was really just disappointed in myself for um for me, it felt like I was just kind of giving up. Um, so that was around 11 a.m. And then at like 3 p.m., I felt a ton of pressure and I was actually fully dilated, but the baby was still kind of high. So we let um, her labor down for a, an hour or two. Um, and then when I was ready to push, um, it was just about 20 minutes and she came right out. Um, so looking back at that, I had thought to myself after the birth, I should have just waited because it actually went pretty quickly, um, even after getting the epidural. Um, so mm. I, I, it took me a while to kind of get over the fact that I got an epidural when I just really didn't want one. Well, and when things are so intense and overwhelming that, you know, you were on Pitocin and Pitocin makes things, it's, it, it acts differently, right? It acts as a, hor a just a hormone, not a hormone and a neurotransmitter. Like your regular oxytocin does that. So it crosses the brain blood barrier and tells your body, hey, you're contracting, send some endorphins. Whereas Pitocin doesn't do that and in fact blocks the receptors so that when your brain goes, are you contracting? Do you want me to send anything? They're like, no, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't send anything. So it's a different did you find now that you've had, you know, both experiences, did you find that the sense of those early contractions with the Pitocin felt different than the ones that you had with your second birth or no? So I actually had Pitocin with my second birth too. Oh, okay. <laughs> Spoiler so, alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, but I think <clears throat> the other thing is I had my birth plan kind of all typed up and it was a very simple birth plan that really just said, please don't offer me pain medicine. We wanted to delay cord clamping, delay a bath, um, skin to skin, like very just routine type of things. There was nothing wild on there, but I was offered pain medication multiple times. My first birth and um, when the doctor came in and saw how I was kind of dealing with it, she was like, you know, you can just get the epidural. You don't need to be a hero and kind of was saying things that made me feel like, you know what, forget it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get it. Um, so I, I think for me, um, in my second birth, really making sure I didn't listen to any of that. And I was like, I know I can do this. I know I have my own reasons why. And the, and the other thing is, um, after my birth with my first daughter, I had a lot of leg numbness 
um, in the upper part of my right leg for about six weeks after the birth. And it was really actually painful. Um, and it, it felt like a pins and needle type thing. And I never had that before I had her. I don't know if it was related to the epidural, um, but it was really painful for a long time. And so that was, I would say, for my second birth. And even another reason on why I didn't want the epidural is I had that side effect, whether it was related to the epidural or not. I don't know. But it was a lot of leg numbness that was just really painful. Mm. And yeah, I want to hear more about that second birth. And let's talk. Let's take a break. When we come back, I have more questions about the epidural as well. We'll be right back. And we are back talking to Molly Chesterson. And so did you find that, you know, like the epidural, it can be a really good tool. I have nothing against epidurals, except that they do come with side effects and risks. And so being able to weigh that um, and support, especially if you had your birth plan that said, don't know for me, pain meds, having a disregard of that instead of helping you move around or try to do something for coping mechanisms, see if you can get on top of those contractions um, before it's not taking the epidural away, but giving you options, right? Mm -hmm. Did you feel you had more options for your second birth? I think I myself and my husband came in more prepared with coping mechanisms. Um, So we still didn't do a, a hospital birth class, but we found one online through um, her name is Sarah Levon. She's a, a doula and a labor and delivery nurse in LA who has a YouTube and a podcast, things like that. But she did an online class that we took that was specifically for coping with labor. And we just at home one night did it and practiced all of the techniques. And I think that set us up for more success the second time around, because when contractions got intense, my husband knew how to apply counter pressure. He knew how to help me count and just deal with it in a much better way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's and and they're they're simple techniques, right? They work marvelously, mm-hmm. but it's simple stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really simple. I would you know I thought it was going to be really complex on how to help you deal with the pain, but it wasn't. It was just something that we. It was a nice experience to do ahead of time. Um, together and it was just the two of us and then it was also really nice in the hospital when things got intense to be able to fall back on that yeah so you did this online class with comfort measures um, and coping mechanisms and what other things were different during that first preparation or during that second preparation or second second labor Yeah, yeah yeah I would say in general in the pregnancy um so leading up to pregnancy with um, our second daughter, we did fertility treatment again. We actually had a miscarriage. It was a really long road to get there. But once we did, I was actually a lot more at ease in the pregnancy. And I don't know if that's because I had already been pregnant before and knew a little bit more what to expect. Um, And also I had a, a, a kid at home, so I was a little bit more preoccupied um, at home and you don't have as much time to just kind of sit around and think about the pregnancy. So in the pregnancy, I wasn't as anxious and, and nervous. Um, but I listened to a lot of your podcasts and birth stories again, as well as listen to a lot on the birth Queens podcast and 
birth hour podcast and just listening to more birth stories because I wanted to just hear how other women coped with the pains of labor and when things got really intense um, and to just hear a lot of different stories and a lot of variety because it's different for everybody. So for me, I just, that is how I thought I would be able to handle it was just kind of listening to other people's stories. And um, I do feel like that helped me. I don't, you know, for everybody's different, but for me, I felt like having all of that um, knowledge of other people's stories really just helped me this time around. And do you remember like some of the specifics of how it helped? So, I mean, just there was one story um, on your podcast. I think the woman's name was Margot, And um, she talked about her first birth, how she got an epidural and how she felt after it. And she cried on your on your show and was still kind of processing that. And I think um, she was talking about her first birth and then she knew for the second birth she wanted to not get an epidural. And for me, that's exactly how I felt. I felt really kind of like I gave up and um, I knew that the second time around I wanted things to be different. Um, and it just, and I also knew how people talked about how it felt. So it's not only just about like wanting to prove something or how my doctor said, you don't have to be a hero. And it's not about that. I wanted to have this experience that people talked about on all these podcasts. Um, and so for me, it was like, I, all these women could do it. I know that we are made to do this and, and I knew I could do it. So for me, it just having that mental that all these other women can do it. I know I could do it as well. Mm. I'm going to see about looking. I think I know the episode that you're talking about. I'll link it on the show notes too. Okay. Yeah. So then you were listening to all the stories. You took the coping mechanisms class um, for labor and you're feeling more at ease. How did this one start? So I knew I didn't want an epidural, but I actually ended up scheduling an induction and the reason why is I don't know how offices work in other places, but at mine, there's a number of OBs and you just get whoever's on call. And I have just very strong feelings of about a couple of the OBs in the practice that I really did not feel comfortable having a baby with. I, in some of my prenatal appointments, because we have to rotate and see them all, um, you know, I had gotten comments that were really concerning to me that I just, I actually didn't really feel safe delivering with them. And so there's not many, I live in the suburbs of Illinois and where we live, there's just not many options. Um, all the practices work that way. So I really only wanted two specific doctors in the practice to deliver my baby. Um, and so the only way to guarantee that was to schedule an induction um, with one of them. And in in my mind, I felt more comfortable going that route and trying to not have an epidural than taking the risk of who would be on call. So I did schedule an induction. Yeah. And you had had that experience before and mm -hmm. it had worked out. And yep. also, like, for a good birth, it's really important that you feel safe, secure, and supported. I cannot understate how important those things are, overstate how important those things are. Because if you're not feeling safe, secure, and supported, oxytocin is not going to flow. 
Right. Period. And I had, yeah. had heard that on a number of podcasts about how important it is to feel, you know, it, all of those things safe and supported with your provider or whoever your birth team was or is. And so for me, I felt that it was really important that I delivered with one of the two OBs that I felt the most comfortable with. So I was able to schedule with um, one of those doctors in the practice, um, but um, I had to do it through induction. So how far um, along were you? 39 weeks and a couple of days. So still, so yeah, and my office doesn't do inductions Thursday through Sunday. So it's kind of like a short window. The doctors only, only one of the doctor does on call hours. So it was kind of just like probably a little bit earlier, which made me nervous. Um, and my other daughter came at 40 and two. So, um, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So then 39 week 30. So the induction date came and then mm -hmm. how, yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So the induction date came and I was almost two centimeters dilated. I don't, a little bit of face. Um, <clears throat> so we, we went in at, uh, five in the morning. They kind of got everything set up and they started Pitocin around eight 30. Um, so between eight 30 AM and one 30 PM, um, I only progressed a centimeter. Um, and so they had done Pitocin. They didn't do any cervidil or cytotec. And, um, my contractions, I was just kind of managing through. They were coming, but it wasn't anything super painful. Um, so at 1.30, they broke my water. Um, and after they broke my water, contractions started to get a little bit more regular and a little bit more intense. But I had a yoga ball in there, and my doctor and my nurses were all fantastic about not even bringing up any type of pain management at all. Um, we took a walk around the hospital and we're just kind of trying to get things going and also just when, when needed, just breathing through my husband was doing counter pressure. Um, and then right around like four fifteen, things got, uh, things got really intense, really, really intense very quickly. So it went from, just being able to breathe and I was, we were just counting to 10 and, you know, ins and out. And then to the point where I felt like I couldn't speak or move or do anything. It was like this huge, very intense shift that I never felt with my first birth because I got the epidural so early on. Um, but it was at that point, I actually said to my husband, I said, I think I need to get checked. And if I'm not far enough along, I think I need to get the epidural. And my husband was like, you don't want to go, I need it. And so I was like, I'm not going to feel disappointed in saying that I want to get it. It just like was this crazy shift. So that was around like 4.15, we had that conversation. At 4.30, 4.40, the nurse came in and she checked me and said I was four centimeters dilated. Um, so right before she came in, I actually went and sat on the toilet. I was, it was like the yoga ball was too high for me to like lean over the bed comfortably. Cause for me, 
sitting um, was a more comfortable position and like bending forward, but the yoga ball was too high and the chairs were too low and the toilet was actually like the perfect length or perfect height. So my husband would sit in front of me and I would kind of lean forward and he would rub my back or do counter pressure. So I was sitting in the bathroom and the nurse came in to check me and she said, okay, come over to the bed. And I had a really difficult time getting from the toilet to the bed for her to check me. Um, away, I'm going to be able to do this if I can't even physically move. Um, so she, she said that and they said, okay, we'll call the anesthesiologist. So now it's like 4.45. And with my first birth, my husband had, my hospital requires that the partner leaves the room um, in case they pass out or whatever. So I said to my husband, right before the anesthesiologist comes, go grab some food downstairs. And I said, don't leave the hospital. Cause with my first, he actually left the hospital because I was only one centimeter. And I said, don't leave. I just feel like it's going to go faster. Don't leave. Just run downstairs. Um, so they said the anesthesiologist would be up in a couple minutes. So why don't I move over to the bed and he would leave. So I go over to the bed and just start screaming, right? My husband leaves and I get in the bed and I start screaming and I physically just cannot move. I'm grabbing the the rail of the bed and screaming at the top of my lungs in pain. And the nurse is just saying, Molly, I need you to lay on your back. Um, we're going to check you again. And I was like, I can't move. I cannot move from this position on my side, hugging the rail. So she gets on her walkie and calls my doctor in and my doctor comes in and checks me. She's like, okay, you're at six centimeters. So in a matter of, I don't know, it was like five minutes. I went from four to six. Um, but she's like, you still got a while. So I'm like in my head, there's no way I'm even going to be able to get an epidural because I cannot move from this position. So I would say another like two, three minutes goes by and the anesthesiologist walks in. And as he's walking in, I'm hugging the side rail, screaming that I'm pooping. I'm like, I'm pooping and I cannot move. And I, I just remember from what I remember, like it feels very foggy, but that I was just hugging this side rail, screaming and feeling this sensation that feels like I was going to the bathroom and my body just kind of like pushing and so I'm like screaming and gasping and so the nurse just sticks her hand in and checks me and she's like you're not pooping you're crowning and this is all a matter of minutes so from the time that I was um my husband left at around 4 45 to the time that the anesthesiologist walks in and I'm feeling this pain um and all of these screams and pushes that I I couldn't control um, so the nurse calls the doctor and says, I need the doctor back in right now. And the doctor walks in and the baby was already crowning and she just, the doctor had time to put on her gloves and the baby was just born. So the, so my daughter was born at 502 and my husband said, as he walked out of the room, he checked his phone and it was 450. So right before he left, I was four centimeters and then I had the baby at 502. So I didn't get the epidural and my husband missed the birth because he ran downstairs to get food. Oh my goodness. So. Uh, all the things, right? What an yeah. intense 12 minutes. 
Yes. Yeah, from when he left. That's a lot of intensity. Oh, let's take a break to catch our breaths, and we'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at amazon.com. And we are back talking with Molly Chesterson. Molly, I am so sorry your husband missed the birth. Yes, it was. We were, while that was happening, I mean, it was such a, like, um, I, I, it was like an out-of-body experience for me that I still can't even believe that happened and then that that, that is real. But he, I was also screaming for him. I was screaming at the top of my lungs and my nurse just kept saying, Molly, I need you to calm down you're going to have the baby. And I was screaming for my husband to say like, and I was trying to hold the baby in because I wanted him to be there. And I was also trying to unlock my phone to call him at the same time. 
And it was all just so fast and so crazy. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't even know how else to describe it. And all I really vividly remember is hugging the side and them telling me to lay on my back and me screaming no. So... Yeah, there was no way you were going to move anywhere. There was there was no way. And I know from listening to a lot of podcasts that you can give birth on your side. So I was like, I am not moving. <laughs> they can figure it out, right? <laughs> they, exactly. And the doctor wasn't telling me to lay on my back. It was just the nurse. I think she was really nervous that I was on my side, but I was not moving. So Yeah. And that baby. So at the end, I mean, even though you've had inductions and you've had once it gets going, it does get mm -hmm. going both times. And yeah. this definitely speaks to the um, experiences that your mom had. Yes, exactly. And, and that is what was so crazy to me because I, and, and it makes sense now. I, I feel okay that I had said I wanted the epidural and it, but it makes sense that I was going through this really crazy transition I guess from four to delivery in a matter of minutes um and why the pain just shifted like there was this moment where I was okay through contractions to a moment where I was not and it was very difficult and I actually I had sent you a picture there's me sitting on the bed with an eye mask on and that's actually for every contraction I pulled that mask down so it was dark and that really helped me just having kind of like a blank thing to look at instead of all the things in the hospital but when that moment came um, I really felt a shift and there was nothing I could do to kind of help me get through the pain of those contractions like like I said, it was really difficult to even move from one position to the next. Um, so, mm. yeah. Do you remember at all what was happening with the Pitocin at that point? <clears throat> I think it got up to 12, but then they lowered it because my contractions had gotten um, really close together, um, which they lowered it around like four o'clock. So it was just before I gave birth, they lowered it like an hour before. Um, but I think it got up to 12 because it wasn't really, it took me a while to even get to four centimeters. Um, Cause at one o'clock when they broke my water, I was still like a two. Well, and, and to put it into perspective also, like early labor tends to take oh. a long time. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't that, things weren't progressing at the beginning it just yeah. takes a lot of effort to get that cervix to start moving but in your case once it did and that water yeah was cushioning was gone whew. yes yeah. yeah exactly so once it once it started it really kind of got got started so um yeah it was it was crazy and so after i had the baby um they she was they didn't give her to me um which with my first daughter they gave her to me right away and actually with my first daughter her cord was around her neck um but they just slipped it off and it what you know which is happens in a lot of babies but um they were able to give her to me right away and this time they didn't and she wasn't crying and I also know that you know from everything I've listened to that a baby not crying is not necessarily a bad thing but my husband was in the room and I couldn't see anything. They just had her down by my legs. So I'm screaming for him, also trying to call him and also 
at trying to figure out what's going on with the baby because nobody's saying anything. So I was really panicking. Um, and I was asking, is she okay? Is she okay? And no one's really saying anything. They said she was kind of stunned from coming out so fast. Um, and so she was down there. I, for me, it felt like a really long time. I have no idea in terms of minutes how long she was down there. Um, but then I heard a little sneeze and they're like, see, she sneezed. She's okay. Um, and so that was kind of a huge relief. Um, but then they took her right over to the warming station and were doing all this suctioning. And um, it wasn't until after my husband came back that they gave her to me. Um, and actually a nurse had to go and get my husband because there was no service in the hospital. And so I called him probably 15 times and it was just going to voicemail. So a nurse went to go get him and they went up to him and said, Mr. Chesterson, your wife just had the baby. And he said, he just like blank face stared at her and just ran and came in. And when he walked in the room, I will never forget his face. He was so sad. And also so shocked. And I felt so bad that he missed it. But obviously, there's there was nothing I could do. Oh, of course so, not. No. Yeah. I mean, your baby had plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, so, but I yeah. do feel bad that he missed. Of course, right? That, yeah. That's not what he wanted. Um, so then when did you, when did you get your baby? Probably... Um, I don't know, like 15 minutes after she was born, they did because once they took her over there and did all the suctioning and stuff, and then they did the footprints and the weighing and all of that. So it may be like 15 minutes, um, which I, I mean, I don't know. I really just wanted to have her right after she was born and no one ever said if there were, was anything happened when she came came out. Um. So I'm not I'm not really sure what happened down there and why they didn't give her to me, but and I I didn't ask after, but um, yeah, it felt like forever because with my first they just gave her to me right away, which is what I wanted, but mm-hmm. yeah. And so, how are you feeling about the whole experience now? I am feeling um, I'm really happy. I it. I, I didn't get the epidural um, and I just, it, I've told some of my friends and like, oh, you're so lucky it went so fast. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. It was, it was really intense, um, not just from the pain because the pain part was very short because um, it was like from 4.30 when the contractions kind of shifted until I had her, um, that it was really painful. But I would just say kind of, in my mind and the fact that my husband wasn't there that for me just kind of makes me really sad um but in general the after experience so i feel so much better i was able to to get up right away um go to the bathroom like i i had to get a catheter with her my first daughter for a while i was numb for so long um and i haven't had that leg numbness and so in general, I'm I'm so much happier with the experience this time around, and I'm I'm happy that my husband and I got to kind of just like manage through the pain together, and we had techniques, and we were more prepared going into it on how to deal with it, um, and then the afterbirth just being so much easier. But though that kind of window of thirty minutes of when things got intense to when it got really intense, it was it's 
kind of like a brain fog. Um, but I guess I'm just really happy she she came out and she's safe and and all of that. So, mm. and sometimes it those really fast births, I feel this idea like your friend saying, "Oh, you're so lucky it went so fast," um, because. It like the same things need to happen, right? The body needs to open, the baby needs to come through, all the same events need to happen, but they just get all that intensity gets kind of condensed into such a short amount of time that sometimes it can be even like shocking or traumatic, right? That it's you get kind of like get hit with a truck and then go like, what just happened? Right. Yeah. Um, And that's exactly like I just remember holding onto the bed and screaming so loud um, that it was just so intense. But, um, you know, I'm happy I was able to experience both because with my first daughter, it was a very relaxing experience. Even having that epidural and just even the pushing was just very relaxed. Um, so this time I really felt, and I, I heard in podcasts you've done and on the, and in other podcasts, this people talk about, um, the baby just kind of being pushed out on its own, like you not pushing. And that's exactly what this felt like. Um, like I wasn't pushing. I was in fact, I was trying to hold her in so my husband could get back. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's that fetal ejection reflex and it, kind of shows that your body especially when the contractions were getting so close together that they had to turn down the pitocin at some point your body took over your birth your labor took over and clearly your own oxytocin was flowing like gangbusters um, Mm -hmm. to basically between your baby and your uterus do they do the dance and and push baby out that it's my what is my can't but poop mantra like there's no way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) can't but push yeah 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 it was it was crazy so so yeah but overall I would say both very different experiences um but at the end of the day um I'm I'm really happy just with even with being induced and being on Pitocin um and thinking I was gonna get that epidural I'm just really happy I didn't even have time and it kind of ended that way. So, yeah. And that was more sort of the hit, like every birth hits a wall, right? When it's that Mm -hmm. intense. And I feel that that was that response rather than like the first response that you had with your first baby of, oh my gosh, I am so not far along and things are not intense. I can't do, you know, different kind of overwhelm. Yeah. Yeah. It's also really interesting with all of the things I listened to ahead of time, how some people talked about things that really worked for them and then things that don't work for them. And you really just don't know until you get in there and you're experiencing it. Because um, when I got towards, I don't know, maybe like four o'clock, my IV pole kept the, the monitor kept beeping. And that really got to me. Every time I heard it off, heard it go off, I felt like it just threw everything off and I was really struggling with the beeping noise. Um, so it's just interesting that little triggers when you're going through the pain, it's probably just so different for everybody um, with what works for them, what doesn't work for them and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So as much as you 
can listen to things and be prepared. It's it's what everybody says. You really can never fully prepare because you don't know how you're going to deal with it or handle it. Exactly. Yeah. It does its own thing for sure. <laughs> yeah. What were some uh, other things that did work for you? You mentioned your eye mask. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the eye mask, I think it's called like a, a Blinkies 40 or Bucky's 40. I don't know. It was like $10 on Amazon, but I had heard about it on Birth Queens that one of the doulas talked about that she recommends everyone get it. So I got it thinking I would use it to sleep at night in the hospital. But once contractions started, I just put it on. And every time I had a contraction, I would pull it down over my eyes. And that's also how my husband knew I was having a contraction is um, I would pull the mask down. So he knew to kind of to start counting for me or to do counter pressure. And that really worked for me, um, just kind of uh, having having nothing in sight and it just being black really helped. Um, and then I would say the yoga ball helped in the beginning um, in early earlier contractions. But once it started getting a little bit more intense, like I mentioned before, the height and bending over was really, really painful. And that's also something inter- interesting I've heard in podcasts and is that something might work for a while and then stop working. And that's how the yoga ball was for me. Um, and then sitting on the toilet because of the height and how I could lean over, even though I wasn't going to the bathroom, just sitting on it really, that was actually probably the most comfortable spot for me. And it was, you were saying how you were there and your husband was sitting in front of you and rubbing your back and like that seemed like a very lovely moment of the two of you, you know, tucked away in the bathroom on your own, doing your own thing. It was, it was, it, it was really, like I said, it was really nice to just kind of have him there and have that experience with him, um, to go through that and, and just for him to be really present with me. Cause last time we both just kind of slept and it was just kind of like, all right, what time is it? When are things going to get going? And this time it was more us doing it together. Mm, yeah. Did you tear at all? No, with both births, I didn't. So for both, I was shocked this time around with how fast she came out that I didn't. Um, But yeah, no, with both, I didn't need any stitches or anything. That makes recovery easier for sure. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, for me, recovery has has been super, super easy because I, you know, nothing, no tears or anything. So, And how is uh, postpartum going? It's good. Um, I would say the biggest adjustment is obviously my two-year-old just kind of um, for her adjusting. She's doing really well, but sleeping through the night for her has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, Like the first night home, she woke up in the middle of the night wanting to hold the baby at 3 a.m. And we were like, no, well, you can hold her in the morning. Um, So things like that make it just a little bit more tiring when you're trying, like with my first daughter, when she napped, I really was able to nap and rest and recover. And this time around, it's just not as easy when you have another kid at home. Um, And then the other thing with just postpartum and after you have a baby is just kind of the breastfeeding. And I would say, for me, I'm someone who produces a lot of milk. And that's also something people are like, Oh, you're so lucky. And it's great to be able to provide for my daughter. Um, but it's it's also has its own challenges. 
um, like my daughter choking on milk all the time and um, just the way she eats it, it and the latch because she doesn't need to have a good latch because she still gets milk um, can just be really painful and stressful. Um, but I would say that's another thing I really made sure to have support ahead of time. So I found a lactation consultant who would be able to come to my house if I needed the help. She was texting me in the hospital um, and just with any questions I had and different holds and things like that and was ready to come if I needed her. I didn't end up needing her to come to my house, but I felt really happy that I had that support had I needed her to come because I waited with my first daughter to for two weeks to then go back to the hospital to see their lactation consultant. And it, it took us about like six to eight weeks my first time around to not have pain and to not cry every time I nursed her. So this time it's it's going much better. And um, I feel like one, because I've done it before, but two, um, I just had a lot more support um, this time around going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two weeks is a really long time when you're establishing breastfeeding. So yes, I agree that like that should be the first call on speed dial, especially 